It needs to be exciting. I believe in metrics. We have to have metrics. Cost needs to be measurable. Revenue needs to be measurable. Client satisfaction is not how I feel. It needs to be measurable. Employee satisfaction needs to be measurable. We have to have that. But it also needs to be something that brings people to work and rallies people around. People often ask, do I go heavy on metrics? Do I go heavy on culture? I think you have to go heavy on metrics and to go heavy on culture. And I would say just to follow on that, Roman, I think people in a nutshell just need to be inspired because the energy and the excitement is exactly right. Otherwise, it will lose steam. From McKinsey & Company, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. You just heard Roman Regelman and Kevin Carmody discussing their keys to a long-term transformation journey. Roman is Senior Executive Vice President and Global Head of Security Services and Digital at U.S.-based financial services company BNY Mellon, where he's been leading transformation initiatives since 2018. And Kevin is a senior partner in McKinsey's transformation practice with over 20 years of experience serving clients across Europe and North and South America. We recorded this discussion in New York at a CEO strategy and leadership event hosted by our strategy and corporate finance practice. And before we recorded our interview, Kevin and Roman led a workshop on driving successful business transformations. We started the conversation with Roman reflecting on the insights that were shared in their session and what he heard from the attendees. There are two things I think people are interested in. One is how to set the transformation up and second, how to really get the results. And when I say set it up, like what are the conditions? Like when are you ready? What should be the balance of revenue, cost, culture? What should be the time frame? All these questions are very multidimensional. No two companies alike. I think that's generated a lot of interest. And then the second group is like how to run it. You have a transformation leader. Does everyone own it together? Is it the CEO led? Is it the grassroots led? That's a lot of nuances that I think we covered, you know, at length in the session. Thanks, Roman. So I'd like to touch on each of those points. Let's just begin, though, with one of the foundational questions I heard in your session, which was, "What does transformation mean in this context? What, what, how does the kind of transformation that you're talking about differ from simply improving business performance, for example?" So we would define transformation as something bold. That's a topic that we covered in the room. It has to be truly aspirational, not something that is generates incremental gains. And I think the second point that was really important, and we spent a fair amount of time talking about it, was how to actually win the hearts and minds of the company from the executive suite down to the line management level. And that really went to a number of questions around, why is this different? How fast can we uh, achieve the goals, as Roman was mentioning, but also why is it sustainable? And that starts with people. When we started the conversation, I spent time just discussing what we've learned over 10 years. And as we've self-reflected, I think, in the early uh, days of McKinsey transformation, a lot of this truly was cost, takeout cost, um, cost measures. And what we spent time talking about today, if you want to get holistic, it has to cover the entire enterprise, which I would define as it has to have a growth element. Uh, it has to have a cost optimization element to invest in the business. You've got to invest in your people, which we would call organization, and there has to be a systems element. And I think what has changed in holistic transformation is how do you take your strategy 
and then tie it into performance objectives across those four, four pillars. I think that is somewhat new in how we think about it and how it gets executed by companies. But it'd be interested to hear, Roman, your thoughts on that. I agree with that. Many transformations focus on certain aspects of a company. We have high cost, we need to do things at a low cost. We have a growth issue, you know, we need to grow. You know, our workforce is not as much of a as we want to be. And when you address each of these problems, they're very significant problems, but you always have a fear of doing something and damaging something else. It's quite easy to reduce cost if you don't need to grow revenue. Doing these things together in combination at once, that's what I think the transformation is. And I do agree, Kevin, with you that it cannot be just running a company better. So one of the debates we had in our company, like, do we need to just address some of the low-hanging fruit? Like, do we need to cut some costs? Maybe talk a little bit what this transformation is before truly embark that. And that's the road we chose. There are pros and cons, but we executed a little bit of a cost transformation. We prepared ourselves in terms of embarking on a bigger journey, maybe develop a little bit of a common language, align some incentives, even align how we deal with each other. That's, I think, created more of a ground for really embarking on something more ambitious. That's great. So you use this word journey a lot during the session and even now, and you talked about how a transformation is a continuous journey as opposed to a project with specific start and end points. Why do you view transformation that way? There are people who talk about transformational program. There are people who talk about journey. I'm going to contrast the two. Program, classic thing, has a start and an end. We start January 1, we finish three years from now on December 31st. We have these three goals, we hit them, we capture 80% of this, 120% of that. That's a program. And sometimes programs are needed because you need to change certain things. Cost, revenue, NPS, whatever that might be. The journey is different. You create a different operating model. You create a different teaming structure. You create a different culture. You embark on ongoing innovation. Now, these two things are not at odds. You can start the journey with very concrete program. We're going to actually do these things, but you also want to build in new methods of working, new culture. If you want to increase agility, you have to people interact differently. You have to renew your workforce. And that thing doesn't have start and an end. Okay, it may have a start, but it may not have an end. So in my mind, the best journey is the one that starts with something concrete and then propels itself going forward. Interesting. Thank you. So if the transformation doesn't have a clear endpoint, how do you prevent your people from getting worn out and fatigued? And how do you, uh, you know, alternatively keep them inspired? I imagine many folks might end up thinking we're constantly transforming. When are things finally going to calm down and go back to normal? I think it's a great question. We're constantly transforming. When is it going to become? I think in the modern world, with geopolitical changes, with technology constantly evolving, with the value chain in every industry regrouping, I don't know if it's ever going to become. And I do agree in a 
company like ours, which is 240 years old, it's a little bit uncomfortable. When is it going to become? And I think their answer for us is really building the new operating model, the building new culture that allows us to sustain this thing and propel ourselves. That doesn't mean you have forever to change your cost profile. That doesn't mean you have forever to change the way you work across the company. You need to do these things, but stuff will, uh, will always come up. I've been in the company for five years. We talked about digital and the aspects of digital that we talked about five years ago. Some of them are becoming a lot more important. AI is an example becoming more prevalent. Maybe some other aspects of digital becoming less important. So it's, you need to build a culture that sustains you on this journey. And that's probably the hardest thing of all. I would build. I would build on that too by saying that it's tough at the beginning of a transformation. But what you're really trying to do is create a new enterprise, and ultimately, you know that the transformation is taking hold. Not just when the financial results hit, but when the two worlds of transformation on the right, business as usual on the left, collide, and you don't know the difference. So it doesn't become fatiguing because ultimately, over time, you're winning the hearts and minds of the organization. But they're thinking differently. So their behaviors change, their actions change, the way they make decisions change, how they work with each other, what I call on the horizontal axis, all that changes. And when you've accomplished it, it becomes second nature, almost like just a world-class Hall of Fame athlete that practices for life, but when they go on the field, they don't think about it. That's what we're shooting for. And that's why, to Roman's point, there's not a beginning and an ending. You're actually creating a new capability in the way the company operates. So this is a situation then when there's an initial phase or a program that sets up the longer term ongoing journey. Like once you've developed that capability to change, then additional change feels more natural versus maybe something that is more disruptive to the organization on an ongoing basis. Yes, but it may need to be disruptive in the beginning. It could also be disruptive and you don't know it later on. So we talked about a, uh, a supervisor at a food company that was trying to eliminate waste. And she had it in her mind how she would do that, but never was empowered to make that decision. When finally in the transformation, she had a chance to actually think about how to eliminate waste and do it. It actually fundamentally changed the way she thought about that production line, but actually moved the entire organization. And that's disruptive. Now, six months later, when she's doing the same thing, but trying to continue to improve it, it's not disruptive in her mind but the performance is improving and that's building the fabric and the DNA of the company in a very different way. And so this idea of a continuous transformation, a journey can also sound pretty intimidating. So what does it really entail? The main transformation, I think Kevin, you talked about that in the session, start with some event. The event could be CEO, event could be merger, event could be emergence of a new competitor, opening a new market, whatever that may be. And of course, if you have a learning system already, if you have transformed the way you work already, dealing with that event would be easier. But nevertheless, this event is usually is the one that's pushing us to transform. But some things, you know, you, you mentioned like it could be quite tiring. Many companies use this us and them language. You're gonna use this example. Us in the front line, them in operations. Us in risk, you know, them in finance. It's a very typical thing, us and them. And you just need to change that once. Because once you get rid of this us and them language, I mean, unless you do something bad, it will not come back. 
that's maybe a little bit of a shock to the system. That's maybe where you need to say like, no, you cannot talk like that anymore. There is only us. Once you've done that, it doesn't mean all the ways to working change that day. Now you can actually start changing things. Got it. Thank you, Roman. So let's talk a little bit about how this change actually gets embedded throughout an organization. To your earlier point, does everyone own the transformation together? Is it exclusively led from the C-suite and then cascaded down to the front lines? How many people are typically directly involved in, the, in a transformation? Yeah. A lot of times when transformations don't hit their objective, it starts the same. Big aspiration. We're going to engage the broader organization. But if you're engaging only 15 people, those 15 people are exhausted. If you never reach the front line and all you're doing is pushing that down to them, they're going to be fatigued. It's the same thing we've done year over year over year. So we spend a lot of time talking about engaging the broader organization. I will say hundreds, if not thousands of people have to be directly tied to the transformation and they have to do something differently. What we're really saying is you've got to inspire people. So when I think specifically of a manufacturing plant, it's the difference of someone going to work and clocking in and clocking out, but not feeling as though they own a piece of the company. If they're inspired differently and they know that their job matters and they've got decision-making authority within reason and they're being recognized for what they're doing, and not just financial recognition, but being really rewarded by their, by their supervisor, they're probably going to do their work differently. And that's proven out in the data. So when we inspire people differently, they act differently, they have an owner's mindset, now you're starting to capture the hearts and minds of an organization. That directly translates into performance. And we've seen that through the data. Interesting. Thank you. So have either of you ever seen a situation where a company simply wasn't ready for a transformation? Are there any key signs that you should look to, to indicate that you might want to hold off on starting a transformation journey until you resolve those issues? Well, in Roman should opine on this as well, but we have success factors. The number one success factor says, do you have alignment at the top of the house, meaning does your CEO and your executive team actually believe that this transformation is the number one objective? Is it aspirational, meaning not just incremental? Is it bold enough? And are they prepared to engage, mobilize the entire organization, not just at the beginning, but when it gets tough? Because this will get tough. Transformations are tough. It requires a fundamental change in how people think and work. But B, to be able to inspire people, not just on day one, but on day 180, those are the decision points that need to be made at the very beginning. They have to be committed to it. And if, the, if an executive team, starting with a CEO, is not committed to it, then they shouldn't do a transformation. I agree the executive alignment is critical. And it's so critical that you should not do the transformation if you cannot. Like you need to either get the alignment or change the people and get alignment. But I think it just starts there. If organization itself is not ready, for whatever reason, if there is other big objective hanging over there and a person that is really doing work needs to constantly balance these things, or if you simply have no capacity or no throughput to do this work and not creating that capacity explicitly, you're going to fail because not having an alignment in a C-suite is bad, but having an alignment in C-suite and, and think just, just because we have an alignment is going to happen by itself is a bit naive. That makes sense. So uh, speaking of that, well, what about incentives? How important is it to have the right incentives in place to ensure the long-term success? 
Okay, people talk about financial incentives. They're critical and they need to be the same. If you incented to cut cost and I'm incented to increase revenue, we're going to make different decisions. It's just simply kind of human nature. We're going to look at the same problem and we objectively, each of us going to think we objectively came up with the best answer. Because it is an objectively best answer for our different goals. But then there are non-financial incentives, which are very critical. I mean, we talked in the session, majority of the employees care for stock price, but it's not like increasing the stock price directly drops to, to their wallet. The work environment, how they're recognized, how they appreciate it, what the work is itself. Is it interesting? Is it boring? Learning opportunity. These things matter. And you cannot disconnect them from the rest of transformation. If this transformation is going to create jobs that are less interesting, if transformation is not going to help people to learn and grow, or simply going to be demotivating because we're going to decent send people who do bad things and the people that do good things are going to say good job, we're not going to get the totality of the company or majority of the company go with us on a journey. And you're not going to go through the journey just by issuing the edict or sending the email. Sure. That, that makes sense, Roman. Thank you. I, I noted something that you said in the session that I thought was really provocative. I, I think you said, there's no such thing as a digital transformation. Now, you lead digital. What did you mean by that? So part of my job is to be head of digital. And of course, I believe in the digital transformation. The point is there is no such a thing as digital transformation. It's a part of the holistic transformation of the company. The goal of digital transformation cannot be just to automate the form or simplify you know, the process or give somebody a better app. All these things, of course, are goals. But ultimately, what is the, what is the goal of the whole transformation? It's back to its revenue, its cost, its client experience, its employee experience. You want to be seen easier to do business with. As a company, we want the employees to feel it's easier to work in this company. And, you know, we meet the financial goals. Whichever order you want to take all these objectives. So digital is the fuel for all of these things. You want to have a better client experience? Give a client more digital threads through process. You want to have less cost? Automate the processes. You want to have less risk? Get rid of the manual processes and opportunity to create error. You want to have a more motivated employee? Eliminate the manual task, reconciling between two different spreadsheets. Get AI to do that. So digital is a fuel. It's air, we breathe, whatever the analogy we want to use. But it's an integral to everything we do. So you're saying that you can't have a holistic transformation today without a digital element? I don't think you can. So how do you make sure that the digital oxygen that you just described actually infuses the entire organization? Perhaps you could give us an example from your experience in, uh, in your industry. So I looked across the world, across financial services industry, and I observed three ways of doing transformation, call it digital transformation. One is a lab. I create a lab. Quite often it could be in the Silicon Valley, but it could be here in Brooklyn. And I put different kind of people. I empower them with different tools. I embrace agile. 
I embrace innovation. It's a really exciting place to work. The office may not look like a typical office, and it's exciting there. Stuff happening, press releases are flying, drones are flying, but I don't know if it's truly impacting your organization back east, back west, back in the Midwest. The second type of transformation, I call that parallel bank. But parallel bank could be a parallel manufacturing company. My company is old. The processes are old. So, you know, the typical setup. Why don't I build a new one? You're going to take orders electronically. You're going to have a different supplier. Value chain. We'll have in employees that are more excited. And you build something. But you will never build that old company with a trust. I mean, in our case, it's a trust built over 240 years. So while you created this parallel bank, you will never make this bridge. So the transformation that we embarked on, and I'm talking about the digital aspects of that, is digitize this very bank, which is digitize every process, every product, every client interaction, and do that holistically, and do that under the umbrella of holistic change. It's probably harder. It's much easier to run a lab. It's much easier to run a small bank or small insurance company, or small manufacturing plant, but you don't truly impact the whole organization. And that's, I think, what we have to do as senior leaders. Thank you, Roman. So now I understand you've been on a transformation journey at BNY Mellon for a little while. Has there been anything that's really surprised you along the way? Yeah, there are small surprises and big surprises. I'll give you the small negative surprise first. Faxes. In our industry, we use faxes, fax machines, digitized version of a fax. I never met a senior client who told me I'd like to send you faxes. I never met a senior executive in our bank who says I want to receive faxes or send faxes to our clients. But it's embedded in many different aspects of operation. And I thought that would be easier to change. We, in a, we certainly embarked on this journey, but this journey is taking longer. So that's maybe kind of called out this surprise. The one that I always knew was going to be hard, it is hard and it is critical, is this hearts and minds. Numbers, important. Tools, important. Incentives, important. Focus, important. All of these things, important. But having the workforce that wants to do this, as opposed to, wow, that's a burden, I'm so busy as is, I'm doing all this stuff, and now I need to do this. We're dealing with that every day. I think every company is dealing with that every day. Cracking a code on that allows us to propel things. That's why when we embark on transformation, we not only thought like what's the framework and a blueprint, how to practically try a couple of things and see if we can get the result. You know what's not surprising now on the transformations is when you unpack those journeys that actually didn't hit the objective, not saying they failed, but they didn't hit the objective, it usually goes down to the same failure modes, right? And part of that would say at the end of the day, did you compromise the standard? If you did compromise the standard, you may not hit that objective. Did you inspire people, get folks excited down in line? If you did it, you have a better chance of succeeding. Those that don't actually hit the mark in many cases, are not reaching the broader organization. Did you have the discipline, the hard stuff, and practice every day to make sure you're sticking to it? Again, not compromising the standard. When companies do that well, the results follow. 
Thank you. So we've touched on this a little bit already, but I'm curious as to how the CEO or leader of the transformation can best sense the state of their transformation and whether it's starting to go off the rails. Are there any subtle signs or red flags when you're trying to make sure that your transformation is on track? I'll work in. So when we talk to CEOs about uh, the signals, that things are going off the rails, many times their concern is they're not getting the candid point of view from their executive team. And it comes in two forms. Going into a meeting, it's a lot of process and not saying, hey, we've got a problem. It doesn't get recognized. In other cases, they'll say that their executive team is not working across the horizontal axis. So how are they cross-collaborating? I'd say the biggest, basic, biggest stories of inspiration that we've seen are where executives are actually finding a common bond to solve a difficult problem as opposed to focusing on their business unit at the expense of the other and keeping score. And that those are just common, common themes that we hear from CEOs, that they're not getting the information early enough so they can act on it to course correct quickly for the, the good of the company. And uh, to quickly change gears here, as we think about starting or embarking on this transformation journey, who typically pursues and launches a major holistic transformation of this kind? Is it CEOs who are in the early stage of their of their tenure and and really have a great deal of energy to see this kind of thing through and pursue it, or is it folks in later in their tenure? What what are some of the indicators? Could also be legacy a CEO that's been there for a while that wants to establish a legacy. I think either way, whether it's a new CEO or someone that's at the tail end of his or her career, I think having a very open and candid discussion at the onset as to what this actually means. How do you define transformation? It has to be bold. It's got to be holistic. It's tough. And making sure that the CEO is committed to it first and then the broader executive team, get that out of the way. Because if, and I think having that candid discussion where the CEO might say, I don't think it's right for my company right now is not a bad outcome. What is a bad outcome is if we say, Mr. CEO, you've got to be engaged in this on a weekly basis. If there's pushback on that, and it might not be right. But I think rather than trying to test the waters and say, let's try this holistic transformation, being very clear on what it is and what it is not, and being committed to it will save everybody a lot of time. Outside of the C-suite too, right? Because you've got a lot of hearts and minds throughout the organization that you're going to ask to do very difficult things, but it's going to be a huge opportunity. Before you put the burden on them, align in the C-suite that this is right for the company. I think one thing I, I would add, it needs to be exciting. I believe in metrics. We have to have metrics. Cost needs to be measurable. Revenue needs to be measurable. Client satisfaction is not how I feel. It needs to be measurable. Employee satisfaction needs to be measurable. We have to have that. But it also needs to be something that brings people to work and rallies people around. People often ask, do I go heavy on metrics? Do I, do I go heavy on culture? I think you have to go heavy on metrics and to go heavy on culture. And I would say just to follow on that, Roman, I think people in a nutshell just need to be inspired because the energy and the excitement is exactly right. Otherwise, it will lose steam. Thanks so much. It's a great conclusion for our discussion. And uh, Roman and Kevin, this has been a really wonderful conversation. Thanks again for taking the time today. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Sean. And thank you to all of our listeners who joined us today. We really hope you enjoyed it. And as always, we welcome your feedback and idea for future podcasts. You can email us at 
ITSR at McKinsey.com. That stands for Inside the Strategy Room. You can also share your ratings and reviews on any podcast player with many thanks to everyone who's already done so. We really appreciate all of your comments and feedback. Please do keep them coming. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to subscribe, you can follow our weekly series on any podcast player, where you can also access our entire library of previous episodes. We also offer an Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page available at mckinsey.com slash ITSR. And there you can easily browse our prior podcasts across six major themes and also access written transcripts of all of those conversations. Finally, if you'd like to automatically receive our latest publications and insights, we encourage you to sign up for email alerts at mckinsey.com or follow us on X at MCK Strategy or connect with us on LinkedIn at the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again next week inside the Strategy Room.